It's New Year's Eve on uh, Morning Brew on Radio 3, and uh, last time for this year, Steve Eyes, how are you, sir? Well, I would say good morning, but, you know, what's good about it? <laughs> Look, it's a blue sky out there. A it's blue bright. sky, yeah, That's yeah. That's about don't, the only thing. Don't you start. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs happiness? Exactly. Uh, but, but seriously, though, I mean, it, it, it was a gut-wrenching day yesterday. You know how things have become so full cycle in Hong Kong. It used to be the case that, that people smuggle themselves in boats to get away from the tyranny on the mainland to come and live in Hong Kong. Now, people are smuggling themselves in boats to get away from, you can fill in the end of that sentence. So we've got these 12 young people who um, uh, were captured uh, four months ago. Remember, they've mm. been held for four months without trial. Four, is it four months now? Yeah, yeah August. Mm. Um, four months without trial, um, 10 of whom were put on, on, on trial on a predetermined trial, obviously, because everybody who goes into a Chinese court is found to be guilty. Um, two who are classed as minors were allowed to come back to Hong Kong to, oh, that's right, be put on trial. Um, but, you know, what is so heart-wrenching about this is not only the inevitability of what happened. We still don't know whether, in fact, the um, Hong Kong Flying Services facilitated um, their arrest in the mainland, whether they were indeed, as alleged, tracking them all the way from Hong Kong. In other words, they could well have been arrested in Hong Kong waters had it not been decided to arrest them in mainland waters. What we do know is that everything that Hong Kong people fear about the Chinese judicial system has played out in this case, held for a long period without charge, denied access to their relatives, denied a choice of legal representation, a summary justice in a court hearing that lasted one morning. I don't think it even lasted a whole morning. In a closed-door trial. I mean, everything that people said they were worried about with rendition to, Hong, to, to the mainland has been played out in this case. And then you have that gruesome, gruesome business where at the end of the process in which justice has not been seen to be served, you have very harsh sentences. I mean, to sentence um, somebody for crossing a border to seven months in jail and, and a heavy fine, I mean, remember, these are people with, with not a lot of money, so it is a heavy fine for them, is, is I would say, disproportionate. But, of course... You also need to remember that in the Chinese system, it's not like in the Hong Kong system where you get remission for good behaviour. You're sentenced for seven months or three years, which is the range of sentences in these cases, and you serve that. So but no chance of parole? No, no, no such thing. So, <clears throat> but, and then at the end of the process, because this is how it works on the mainland, you see in that very reliable news outlet, um, Xinhua, that the... the um, defendants in the trial were forced to say how marvellous the Chinese judicial system was and how much they appreciated the way they were um, treated. Well, you know, when you put a gun to somebody's head, they will indeed say what you want them to say. So I don't think there was literally a gun at their head. In fact, I'm very sure that there wasn't. But we know what the fear was. They're even too afraid to appeal because in the arbitrary nature of the Chinese judicial system, if you appeal you are deemed to be a troublemaker, and they could indeed have their sentences increased if they appeal. So this is what's happened. And you know, what is 
I mean, I think this is heartbreaking enough, but what is so demoralising is throughout this whole process, there has not been one iota of an indication, and if there is, it's certainly been kept very quiet, of the Hong Kong government in any way making a move to look after the interests of Hong Kong people. Now, it is not a case of whether they're innocent or guilty. The government doesn't need to take a view on that. That's not how this works. What they do need to have a view on is whether there is a care of a duty of care rather to people who who live under their jurisdiction any other normal government would say we're going to make sure that we make representations on their behalf that they get this that the other the only form <coughs> of liaison that has been evident to the public eye has been the handing over of the two underage suspects to the Hong Kong police so they can be put back in jail again as soon as they arrive in Hong Kong. Other than that, I don't believe we've seen any sign that the Hong Kong government helped facilitate legal representation, helped facilitate the visit of their families. You know, these are monstrous, and I don't use that word lightly, these are monstrous conditions to be held in for what are by international standards, very, very minor offences indeed. The reality is not only will they serve out these um, uh, jail sentences now, but what they have to look forward to is to coming back to Hong Kong to be jailed again. Mm. So, you know, um, the people who say, oh, well, they've broken the law here. Well, yes, once you've weaponized the law in the way that it has been weaponized in Hong Kong, taken part in a demonstration suspected of subversion on, on, on grounds that have not been disclosed, etc., etc. Indeed, it is possible that you have broken the law, particularly as you don't know what the law is that you've broken. So, yes, this is all being played out. Uh, what a start to 2021. Mm. Um, I, since I, um, since uh, Hong Kong is part of China now, um, you know, there are some that would say that you know, if the laws in China are being applied, that when folks come back to Hong Kong, that those laws, they've already served their, their terms. Well, they, they, they're going to charge them under different, different offences. But, you know, you, you, you could even argue, how could they have left China? Because, I don't know, I mean, unless, other than the heretics like Carrie Lam, I mean, China claims sovereignty over the sea between Taiwan and Hong Kong. So according, according to Chinese definition of its sovereignty, they have been arrested for leaving the waters of Hong Kong, going into an area which, oh, that's right, China says is part of China. So as far as I know, they didn't leave China at all. They were in Chinese waters. I mean, this is an extraordinary thing. I know it's a sort of smart, it's a smart aleck type of argument and it's barely worth making, but it's just w worth pointing out the irony. If you believe that Taiwan is an indelible part of the People's Republic, then you certainly can't believe that anybody going there is leaving China. There's, a, there's an inherent contradiction in that daft statement. But, you know, we do know that the reality is that Taiwan is under a di different jurisdiction. The pol politics of it, I think, have yet to be resolved, but we are where we are. I guess we're going to see how that will play out over the next few years, because that will have its own that, share that, of... That, that is inevitably. And, I mean, while all of this is going on, 
we have this extraordinary spectacle, as we're speaking, incidentally, of a hearing in the um, Court of Final Appeal. Remember, the very highest court of Hong Kong, except it isn't because its rulings can be overturned by the National People's Congress Standing Committee in Beijing. But as matters stand, theoretically, it's the highest court of, of um, the SAR. An appeal over bail being granted to Jimmy Lai. Now, bail applications usually are dealt with at, at, at district level at, at, at most. Um, but anyway, in this instance, it went to it went <coughs> to the High Court, which is where he was charged under the national security law. And the judge, who's now given detailed reasons for granting bail, and this is where things get very, very dangerous is pilloried, not just in the local communist press, but in the People's Daily, which, after all, comes directly under the propaganda department of, of the Chinese Communist Party, who are imputing all sorts of reasons, personal reasons, for the judge's uh, um, decision to grant bail. This, I would have thought, at least is judice. It certainly is prejudicial to today's hearing. It certainly is prejudicial to whatever trial may subsequently arise. And what does the Secretary for Justice have to say? You remember, it's somebody called Teresa Cheng. She, she appears occasionally, very rarely, but she does appear occasionally in public. What does she have to say about subjudice at this level? You hear the sound of silence. That's what you hear. I mean, it's astonishing that in the wake of this, I wouldn't say unprecedented, but almost unprecedented, because we have seen other incidents in Hong Kong, assault on an individual judge over his ruling in these personal terms, which incidentally was, no, no spoiler alert here, um, joined by a former chief executive, C.Y. Leung, um, Absolute silence from the Department of Government that is supposed to be upheld, upholding the integrity of Hong Kong's legal system. I find that very, very depressing. We're obviously going to hear later today what the outcome of this um, hearing is. But remember, this is a remand hearing. This isn't the this is trial. About bail. This, this is, is about bail. Exactly. Do bail court, <coughs> do bail um, things like this go to the court of final appeal? I've never heard of it before, but I'm, I'm sure some there's somebody who's much smarter in legal matters than I am who will say I've never heard of it. That's that's not definitive, of course. But there you go. There you go. You've got this extraordinary situation. And, by the way, the conditions of the bail are draconian, to put it mildly. The fact that if anybody visits um, uh, Jimmy Lai in his house, which is very close to this studio, is likely to have their car searched if they come by car, is likely to be questioned, have their identity, uh, um, identification details taken down. Boy, I mean, where are we? Where are we in mm. Hong Kong where visiting a person who isn't liked, and this is putting it mildly, by the authorities, means that the police have the right to take down all your personal details, search your car, because presumably people visit him are almost certain to be carrying bazookas or whatever it is you, you carry when you go up to Kadori Avenue. <laughs> 
On Bashat this morning, uh, they were talking about the fact that um, this is a mainland China house arrest <coughs> where you can't do anything, basically. Yeah. You cannot communicate with anybody on in any in any way, basically. So the restrictions are extremely tight. Um, and, and the level of bail is... is I mean, you, you know, the idea that somebody like Jimmy Lai, who is possibly one of the most high-profile people in Hong Kong, could suddenly abscond, I have to say, is absurd by any standards. So it's sheer theatre to, to, to set these million and millions of dollars um, bail conditions. Uh, you can't talk to this one, you can't talk to that one. Breathing, well, you can, but, you know, only with, with prior permission. So, you know, this isn't as though... He's the, the, the judge granted some sort of happy-go-lucky, oh, you know, you wander around. Do what you want. Leisure. Mm, mm, mm. And remember, the reason why he has been remanded for so long is because the prosecution have not got their act together and say, oh, we won't be able to come to court until April. The, the, the what did you make of the um, uh, the judge's comments the other day that said that um, you know maybe what he had said were merely comments and criticisms? Yes, well, it's the, it is an arguable case, and no no doubt this will be the case that is put forward by the defence. But remember, in this there's two separate charges here. One is um, the the, the outlandish charge and i say it's outlandish because of the circumstances of, of money laundering but the more substantial one is the um charges under the national security law what we don't know because the law is so widely drawn is it's very hard for the defense to make a defense against a law which is so unspecific you know it is a mainland style law where where you are guilty of whatever we say you're guilty of and you don't really have to adduce evidence to prove that in hong kong we've still got a legal system which is governed by the common law which is governed by precedent jurisprudence all the rest of it and you know in this case if you're going to mount a defense you just don't know where you are well there is no precedent really there's no precedent so jurisprudence doesn't exist in in dealing with these cases that there, there is no specificity god that's a germ spreading word um over over the charges it's just a general catch-all you know we don't like what you say therefore we're going to put you in prison uh, probably for a long time and now of course People's Daily and the, the the usual quizzling chorus here are saying, well, yeah, yeah, it's all very complicated. Let's have the trial on the mainland where we've got courts that know how to deal with this sort of thing. I mean, it gets more ominous and darker by the day. We'll see what happens. There's no evidence at the moment that this case is being transferred to the mainland, but... You certainly couldn't rule that out, I would have thought. Mm. Well, we'll wait to see what the uh, uh, announcement on the bail is later later on today. Say that one for you. Uh, Thin Lizzy, do anything you want to do. That's pretty much your attitude, Steve, isn't it? Yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. OK, so it's uh, the end of 2020 and uh, some other news around at the moment, though, um, but there also con concerning folks across the border, right? Yeah, there really is. And, and indeed, in the legal sphere, Hmm. So, you know, the, the, what we've been told, and we're told this by the Quislings by the day and their, their little band of, charming little band of supporters, 
is, you know, no one will get into trouble if you don't make trouble. You know, you just keep your head down, you accept what you're told, and shut up and get on with it. Well, I think this is what Alibaba, one of China's biggest companies, if not indeed its biggest private company, had as its thought. You know, its, it's um, founder and chairman, um, Jack Ma, is, is a party member. He's not, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, a rebel. But yet, but yet, in the arbitrary system which prevails in a one-party state, you can cross red lines that you didn't know existed. You can be, uh, I was going to say prosecuted. In this case, it's, it's, it's not quite a prosecution because, of course, nobody's thinking of, or maybe, I don't know, I was going to say nobody's thinking of putting Jack Maher in jail, but they are certainly thinking of taking money away from him. So what's going on with so, this then? What, what, first of all, what happened was he made this now very famous speech mm. about how um, China's banking and, and banking regulatory system isn't keeping up with the times and that, you know, they've got to get with the program. And part of the program, of course, because he was speaking out of self-interest, was the, the Ant Financial, which essentially is an electronic banking system. So Ant Financial is the, is the, is the <laughs> finance side of, of Alibaba. It's a subsidiary, yeah. Mm. It's a, mm. But it's a separate company, but it comes under the, 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 the conglomerate. Mm. And so, you know, um, the fallout from that, because after all, this speech was made quite a few months ago, but in the middle of the IPO, in fact, a day it's not the middle of the IPO, the day before the IPO for Ant Financial was supposed to come to fruition, it was suddenly withdrawn on orders from the regulatory authorities on the mainland. And since then, there's been investigations. And that's a there's big been, thing to suddenly pull back an IPO well, like pull that. pull back, and it was, of course, one of the biggest IPOs, I think, in fact, the biggest mm -hmm. IPO of, last, of this year. We're, we're not quite in next year, are we? <coughs> so, you know, an enormous thing. And yet again, we understand that what's going on is party before politics, or rather politics, party before business. So, you know, if you, if you annoy people at the top of the party, you will pay a price. Now, Jack Maher is a wily operator. As I mentioned before, he's a member of the party himself, and that is no doubt a requirement of being a leading businessman in, in the mainland. Incidentally, talking of which, sorry, this is just a bit of a segue, but mm. it seems to be completely unnoticed that the new um, vice chairman of, of Cathay Pacific, which, remember, is 30% owned by Air China, mm -hmm. is um, Song Zhong, who is, oh, that's right, the party secretary of Air China. Oh, so, you know, really? uh, um, if you think that, 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 that somehow in Hong Kong we're immune from all of this stuff. Oh, think again. Think again. I mean, in, in Hong Kong, incidentally, uh, people... Sorry, what, what does he know? Cathay Pacific, he's... He he's the he, vice chairman. He's the vice chairman of Cathay Pacific. And he's also re re retains the um, chairmanship of um, Air China itself. So, you know, he's a very senior person, both in the party system and in the <coughs> state-run airline. Mm. I mean, that's a bit of a segue, but I mean, in Hong Kong itself, of course, Jack Ma is also the owner of the biggest English language newspaper, the South China Morning Post, which I notice has been a bit conflicted in its reporting of these events, and understandably so, frankly. It's not often that I, I, I 
travel such a vast distance to say kind things about the South China Morning Post, but I understand their problems in this matter. But the real problem here... Are they being lent on internally, do you think? <laughs> I think they know what to do. I mean, honestly, I've been around newspapers for a very long time, and the idea that somehow the bosses have no influence on the editorial content, I mean, you know, you can see a bunch of pigs flying in any sky you want to if you believe any of that nonsense and that includes incidentally all these up themselves you know american newspapers who go oh, we, we're only uh, we're only searching for the truth well you know i mean what are the parallels between <coughs> jeff bezos and uh, his ownership of uh, the washington post and well i don't know why don't i talk about something that i do know about <laughs> which is um when i was working in london for the observer and I was working on the business section, so I felt the full force of this at the time that the rather infamous Tiny Rowland of Lonro had taken over. In fact, I was there at the time that he took over the paper. And I can assure you that there was a lot of things that appeared in the business section which were to Tiny's pleasure, and there was a lot of things that didn't appear which would have incurred his displeasure. Did that involve a direct call to his offices in Cheapside, which is where they were in those days, Sometimes they did, actually. Mm. Often they didn't, because the, the, the business editor, I know this because I was the deputy business editor, um, was, was of the view that one of our principal jobs was not to annoy Tiny, or, on the other hand, to make sure that Tiny was happy with what appeared in the business section. So, you know. So effectively, <coughs> it's a kind of, kind of self-censorship. It was self-censorship plus, you know, I, I don't believe, in fact, I know for a fact that there was no time in which there was an actual directive issued, you shall publish this, but hints, telephone calls, etc., etc., certainly abounded. And I'm only giving this example because I know about it mm. in detail. Mm, mm. But I can assure you, because, as I say, I've been in the business a long time, I know people on other newspapers who will tell you equally um, direct stories about the level of control. So, you know, the fact that the South China Morning Post reflects the views of its owner I don't regard as, as a unique circumstance, but it's worth mentioning in case anybody hadn't noticed it. But, you know, this, this business of politics before profit is, is, is now being seen in China in quite fantastic ways. There are power shortages during this intense coal spill that's sweeping through the mainland. One of the reasons why there are such extensive power shortages is because the party wants to punish Australia <coughs> for stepping out of line in international forums, particularly on the matter of the coronavirus. Oh, so this is the so, coal, right? No coal. So they banned. There's shiploads of mm. Australian coal trying to make its way into China, which have been banned. Now, if they were released and allowed to go, these power shortages would not entirely evaporate, but they would evaporate to quite a high degree. Mm. So again, the needs of the people are secondary to walk to the needs of the party in its ideological um, insistence on compliance with the line. So, you know, <coughs> the idea that all of this has no practical consequence for the average person in the street is totally ludicrous. In the case of Alibaba, it means that even if you're one of the most high-profile business people in the land, you need to be reminded of who's the boss. I think this is really what's happening. It's not so much that, 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 that someone in Zhongnanhai has got, got agitated about control of the banking system, but they don't like the idea that some person 
is beyond their control and is criticising edicts that come from above. I think that's what this is all about. And the consequences <coughs> for Jack Ma personally, we keep hearing stories about how many zillions of dollars he's, he's lost as a result of the fall in the share price since all this began, are extensive. And of course, once the party gets its teeth into you, it doesn't stop. Mm. You know, now... The, 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 the parent company, Alibaba itself, is being accused of mon monopolistic, anti-competitive practices within the mainland. I'm sure they can make a case on that one. But, you know, these aren't new things. They've only occurred in the space of the, literally in the space of the last few weeks, when the party have decided that lessons need to be learnt and lessons need to be taught. So, if you think that somehow... Um, a dictatorship and the running of businesses in a normal way are compatible. Good luck with that. I read it a lot in the newspapers here, but it's 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 about as true as the idea that the Pope has become a Muslim, and I don't think he has. Maybe, maybe the next bulletin will will give us that information. <laughs> maybe not this week. Now, um, yes. Roman architecture Indeed. in Hong Kong. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? I mean, Romanesque, I think we ought to say. But, you know, <laughs> here you go again. Hong Kong has an amazing problem with history. Mm. First of all, we're not allowed to know about a lot of the history because it, it belongs to the dreaded period of colonial oppression. And if I was allowed to spit in these COVID times, obviously I would have done so after making those remarks. But, you know, here you have a case which I think isn't, uh, isn't politically motivated. It's good old-fashioned negligence. Mm. And what I love about the antiques and monuments, um, whatever they're called, department, is... Antiquities, antiquities. Antiquities yeah. and monuments, monuments department, yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or commission or whatever it's called. Anyway, um, is that just like, you know, the recalcitrant at schoolboy says, oh, sorry, miss, the dog ate my homework. <laughs> I mean, they just sound like him. You know, oh, it was the water supplies department didn't tell us. Oh, it was underground. We only really deal with overground. You know, underground is really difficult. And, you know... It didn't fit the template. <laughs> it, what it is, is they don't like getting off their um, rear ends and oh. having a look. That mm. would be how you would know what was going on. Fortunately, yet again, Hong Kong has been saved by the diligence of citizens mm. who did go and have a look, did take photographs. There was, um, there was a running story about a, um, a PhD student at, I think it's Chinese, no, no, Hong Kong University, anyway, one of the universities, <coughs> who actually wanted to do a project about this, mm. notified a member of this um, alleged, it's a commission, I believe, not a department, of this alleged commission, who, 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 who told her it wasn't of sufficient interest and not to bother her pretty little head with it. So it's not as though the evidence wasn't there to be seen. I mean, literally there to be seen. It, it, it is underground, but it's an exposed piece of ground. It's an extraordinary structure. It's, it's a pre-First World War um, water reservoir with these Roman pillars. I'm sure listeners have seen pictures of it. It is quite interesting. Wow. And, you know, Hong Kong's quite, past... Quite, quite amazing, actually. Quite amazing. Yeah. You know, Hong Kong's past has been haphazardly destroyed by official and private vandalism over the years. And, of course, some of that site has already been destroyed by the Water Services Department that went ahead with demolition at double speed because, boy, it sure is easier to knock things down than to build them up. And, you know, people who are concerned, and people are concerned about Hong Kong's heritage, 
want this thing to be preserved. Well, they still haven't issued a preservation order on it, but at least the work has been suspended for the time being. <coughs> and apparently these fine people who don't like going underground will get their backsides in gear and will have produced a report by the by the end of the first quarter of next year or you know whatever it takes a while doesn't it it takes a while god there's so many forms to be filled in Mm. boxes to be ticked i mean the question is really though um given that there is now in the last few days so much information that's been unearthed unearthed about this whole thing can they go back correct well thank god for the public Uh, incidentally thank goodness for the diligence of the district councillors. you know the much relied oh these district councillors, they're only there for political reasons well Part of the new Broom District Council in Shamshui Po are people who've brought this to light and have been vigorously campaigning on it, so they should get some kudos, I would have thought. And the, but the net result, I think, will be a good one. I, mean, I might, may be wrong. As you say, it's so much in the public domain. <coughs> the idea that they can go and demolish all these pillars and, and make a very glistening new water tank there is, I think, absurd. I say I think because, you know, the absurd does happen in Hong Kong. In Go break, on. In breaking Go news. Go on. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Never. I've spoiled the punchline by revealing that. <laughs> but, but um, you know, even even the deputy mayor herself has said that she thinks that um, uh, maybe a pause would be in order now. So, But wasn't she this person that said that the Queen's Pier would be uh, um, preserved and rebuilt? Yeah. And never was? Yeah. Well... Here we go. If you want to do a history of what doesn't exist in Hong Kong, can you imagine any other place that would destroy all remnants of its main thoroughfare? I'm talking about Queen's Road, which is an extremely important thoroughfare. None of it. None of it. None of the (coughs) original character of that road still exists. Mm. Queen's Pier, of course, uh, um, you, you, you know, has been blown away. And they say, oh, well, you know, it wasn't that architecturally interesting. God, have they missed the point. Completely. They yeah. completely missed the point. No, it wasn't. I think we can all agree it wasn't that architecturally it was symbolic, interesting. Wasn't it? That's but mm. it was. It was a part mm. of Hong Kong's history. I'm waiting for them to take down Lion Rock next. Mm. Because, well, they would know, if they could, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> well, hey, <laughs> Ooh, sorry for suggesting that. I'm, I don't want to be putting ideas in people's minds. But, you know, you do go through Hong Kong. Uh, looking at old pictures and thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be nice? If well, we do sort of thinking about Central. You know, <laughs> what, what, what buildings still exist in Central from, from you know, 100 years ago? Not very many. I think there's the Pedder building on Pedder Street. Just about. That's about the only yeah. thing I well, can think you, of. Right? You, you, you do still have the clutch of buildings around Statue Square. Sure. And yeah. what's so interesting is the building that was actually built as the Legislative Council mm. and is now subsumed into that very wonderful um, lavatory-style block over at Tamar. It's true it was old-fashioned. It's true that it wasn't entirely fit for purpose. But why did you have to, other than the political imperative of destroying all remnants of colonialism, why did you have to destroy it? I mean, it's not been destroyed. It's now the Court of Final Appeal. But Mm. why why even do that? I mean, it had its function Mm. in the centre of town as the Legislative Council, mm. it could have been renovated. You know renovation can happen. People do do that in Hong Kong. Um, made fit for purpose for the 21st century. And, you know, what a wonderful thing that would be to preserve the historical continuity of it. That, you know, 
we want we want the legislative council, the chief executive's office, the central government offices in one block to make the political point, which we now see being hammered home by the day. There is no separation of powers. There is only one central power that controls everything. Therefore, they have to physically be in proximity to each other. I don't think it's a coincidence that, that architecture, building requirements and politics all came together in this. So, you know, at least LegCo, the LegCo building is still preserved, but it doesn't have its... Well, actually, coming to think of it, <coughs> it does have its original function, because I think originally it was built as a law court. But then it was it, then it was transformed it was into being the. Mm. Um, but in recent history, it was indeed the legislative council. It is in the centre of town. It's the right place for it to be. Sure. Yeah. yeah. A great pity that it ain't there anymore. Well, we decided we weren't going to do a look back on 2020. Yeah. You didn't yeah. want to do that. I'm, I'm with you. That's <laughs> what about looking forward, sir? What about well, 2021? How's it How's it looking? Well, can we just say the obvious? Thank goodness that the vaccines have arrived. Mm. But poor old Hong Kong. Oh, my goodness me. It looks as though we're going to be... They're saying they're going to roll out these vaccines from the mainland next month, mm. which haven't been fully tested, which haven't been peer-reviewed, and where they have been tested, there is one that's been tested, which has proven to have 75% efficiency. But the global standard now is 90%. Mm. Why does Hong Kong have to have second class? It's extraordinary. This rich, mm. sophisticated society, for political reasons, because the deputy mayor is, is scared that she'll be criticised of a lack of patriotism if um, the other vaccines aren't deployed here. She was even at one stage trying to force people into having the, the mainland-sourced vaccine and not giving them a choice. She was shamed into changing that. But as far as I know, the government doesn't have supplies of these other vaccines, which are now <coughs> being pumped out around the rest of the world. So, I mean, obviously, the absolute number one priority is to kill the virus, or sure. at least to stop it in its tracks. And the number two priority is to get the economy back on its legs. And the government is saying, oh, but, you know, it's all very expensive, this, you know. Yes, it is. So here's a plan. Stop throwing money at white elephant projects, and there will be enough to do the essential job of getting the economy back on its feet, and what's more, giving the means of subsistence, um, subsistence to people with very little funds. Remember, the latest... That still does seem to be a problem, doesn't it? It, it is. The latest round of, of help for companies gives nothing to individuals whatsoever. So people who have been thrown out of work, people who are in short time working, people who are taking unpaid leave, are entirely uncovered at the moment. And the level of poverty in Hong Kong is rising by the day. Although it was so denied the other day. It was denied because, you know, if you look at a statistic and if you start with, you know, all months without an R in them, it's all very well. And, you know, anyway, uh, we're all right because we're government bureaucrats and we've been paid very big salaries. And, you know, it's true. Some of the chauffeur-driven cars have got smaller, but, you know, we're prepared to live with that sacrifice. Mm. Mm. <laughs> My heart bleeds. Absolutely, yeah. It really does. Yeah. I, uh, so, you know, I hope and I think it is at least feasible to see the end in sight during the coming year. But I very, very much fear for the livelihood of the average Joe in Hong Kong. 
I, I don't see the coming year as being a good year after a terrible year of suffering. So, you know, I'd like to say, whoa, whoa, everything's going to get better. But, you know, you've got to be a bit realistic. Mm, mm. Well, fingers crossed, I guess, anyway, uh, for what we can what, could be, well, what, what yes. we can hope for. We could we could wish people a happy new year, I suppose. Oh, really? You could do. But you've probably got you a better plan. <laughs> you don't need to do that. <laughs> well, I know you'll be partying it up tonight. Oh, Christ, you know. Yeah, disco yeah. crazy. You're out. Uh, 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 um, socially distanced uh, uh, disco crazy and compliant <laughs> with the national security law. Can I just stress? <laughs> you will be tuned into Peter Lewis on Radio 3 Absolutely. tonight, won't you? Absolutely. You, you Every have, minute. You will have your house party with yourself. Yes. Which is good. And the three dogs. And you'll, you'll pick out some... Oh, great... no, no, sorry, can I just, just in case hmm. of doubt, two of whom will be socially distanced. <laughs> in the other room. <laughs> yes. I hope. <laughs> and you've got some top tunes picked uh, out. Uh, yeah. Um, um, Village People, YMCA, that's going to be yeah, one that of your party. Yeah, that good. And possibly heads. ABBA. I think it'll be fantastic. <laughs> Steve Vines, Happy New Year. <laughs>